Ojiba, one of the deacons from the Virgin's Congregational Church. This podcast includes portions of our service from May 8, 2022. The scripture for later in the service is Psalm 23 and also Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 43. Happy Mother's Day! This is the day that God has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. My name is Elliot Mund, and I'm the pastor here of the Virgins Congregational Church, an open and affirming congregation of the United Church of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Whoever you are, wherever you are on life's journey, you're welcome here. Companion God, 
You take us by the hand when the way is uncertain. You grieve with us in justice and deliver fresh grace with the morning. You befriend us when we push everyone else away. Let your call now be our welcome, pulling up the chair at your overflowing table, where enemies and friends are indistinguishable, and all come as honored guests. Amen. What they do matters when someone is tenderly touched. That who they are matters when someone sees their colorful light. That person knows that they matter. That person who knows that they matter has been gifted with the power of resilience. When they fall, the hands of mattering clean the wound and unwrap the band-aid. When they make mistakes, the face of mattering smiles with grace and listens to what was learned. And when the heartbeat of hope slows to silence and their eyes close in dreamless sleep, then the memory of mattering silently turns their world so the sun can creep into their room in the morning with a kiss that calls them back into the life of a new day. May we all matter to each other. Amen.
Good morning. Good morning. Today's first scripture is Psalm 23 and can be found on page 435 in your pew Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Our second passage is from Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 43, and can be found on page 894. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples, who heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him with the request, Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God. For you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Several years ago, my wife Elizabeth and I were invited to a reception hosted by the local chapter of the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, also known as RCRC. There were about two or three dozen people there, and they split broadly into two separate groups. The first group was the veterans. They had been advocating for reproductive justice for decades, including the days when RCRC was our car, or the Religious Coalition for Abortion Rights. They had organized, marched, and accompanied women making difficult reproductive decisions for longer than I had been alive. And then there were the younger folks, Elizabeth and me and the others, whom the vets recruited. We shared the faith, but didn't have the same experience. 
The reception was ostensibly about the veterans honoring one of their own. When the honoree stepped forward to the microphone, he started naming his familiar comrades that were looking back at him. Catherine, Maria, Bill. This was not just his award. It was all of theirs. In addition to celebrating their accomplishments, I could feel them praying for a new crew to take up the prophetic mantle. After so much work behind them and still in front of them, they were tired. They didn't say it, but you could see it in their body language. They had preached for years the good news of God's solidarity with those making decisions about their reproductive health, including having an abortion. Now they needed help sharing that message. Now, in today's story from Acts, we hear of another community that is nervous about its future. Their faithful leader and servant, Tabitha, has died. She is the only woman named as a disciple in all of Scripture. Luke, the author of the Gospel and Acts, writes that she was devoted to good work and deeds of charity. Like so many stories of women in Scripture, though, the details of her ministry are sparse. To understand this short passage as more than just a forgettable feminine imitation of the raising of Lazarus, we must piece together Tabitha's story by reading between the lines. The first clue we have is her two names, the Aramaic name Tabitha and the Greek name Dorcas, both mean gazelle. This detail reflects how her ministry is broad enough to extend to multiple linguistic groups in Jopa, and she is likely very active with a name like gazelle. The second clue is the urgent request of the other disciples for Peter to come to Jopa. Peter had just performed a miraculous hearing, healing in a nearby town, and the disciples at Joppa expect him to deliver another. They could not imagine God being finished with a woman who had done so much for the gospel mission in their community. And the third clue we receive is about the people Tabitha served. When Peter arrives, a crowd of widows surround him, showing off the clothing that Tabitha had made for them. The clothes are a symbol, you see, of the time and financial resources she devoted to this community of widows. Thus, the Bible's only female disciple is noteworthy for serving perhaps the neediest and most marginalized people in Scripture. After Tabitha's death, these widows pray for God not just to resurrect her, but also her ministry among them. Their entire community felt like it hung in the balance. Even though similar feelings abounded at the RCRC reception Elizabeth and I attended, the reproductive justice ministry continued. 
Elizabeth took over as the RCRC chair in Connecticut and invited our friends to be on the board. I was mostly a tag-along. I went with her to organizing sessions with Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood. See, RCRC and Planned Parenthood maintained a strategic partnership. I stood with Elizabeth in the crowd at rallies, read over her newsletters, speeches, and prayers. She was the one behind the microphone, and I was the one in the crowd. And by crowd, I mean the predictable group of regulars who turned up for all of the events. It wasn't always obvious what progress was being made. But we cultivated the feeling of partnership in the struggle that kept reproductive justice in the conversation politically, culturally, and spiritually. In addition to the public advocacy, I grew to appreciate the breadth of ministry that happens behind closed doors, too. As a friend, I have talked with parents who sadly gave up jobs they loved because childcare was not safe, not affordable, and the most common scenario around here, just simply not available at all. As a father, I learned firsthand the importance of quality health care, holding my newborn daughter in my arms as the medical staff worked feverishly to keep Elizabeth alive after her delivery. And as a pastor, I've heard the depth of despair that flows from reproductive loss and grief, including from late-term abortions of non-viable pregnancies. When I talk about reproductive justice, I mean addressing the full spectrum of issues that affect the flourishing of families, either directly or indirectly. It's easy to avoid such issues, right? Where to get contraception? How much childcare costs? Who to see about a developmental delay? Right, because they feel so personal. And perhaps that is the very reason they deserve our attention as a community of faith. Nevertheless, it's also worth focusing our attention particularly on abortion this week because of the news. There are people in this country and perhaps in this very sanctuary celebrating this news as a win for Christianity. That's not me. I am not one of them. I support access to abortion because of my faith in the God of Jesus Christ. And my hope is to give you a clear articulation of why that is. The foundation of my support for abortion access is compassion. Jesus was always inviting the people around him into deeper compassion. The suffering flocked to him throughout his ministry and he responded with healing instead of condemnation. Perhaps none is more illustrative than the woman with the ceaseless flow of menstrual blood. Rather than scolding her for grasping his cloak and defiling him with her ritual impurity, he commends her for her faith and heals her. You should know that abortions are nothing new. Most of you know this already. 
There is historical evidence of them dating back thousands of years. In fact, there is a scenario in the book of Numbers outlining how a priest can offer a home, ready, home remedy abortion. It's really creepy. And since the earliest days of reproductive, the reproductive justice movement, supportive pastors have known that abortions are never taken lightly. They understand the difficulty of choosing to abort a pregnancy, and they supported desperate women, including, including helping them find and even driving them to safe providers. If they felt conflicted themselves, their compassionate response prioritized women's physical and spiritual well-being. The more I practice ministry, however, the more I am compelled to build upon the foundation, that foundation, a more robust framework of sexual calling. This begins with the claim that sex is good inherently because we are created good in the image of God. It is something that is fluid and never stagnant. And that's why most of us relate differently to our sexuality than we did say at 18. The truth is our sexuality is how we live into the sexual beings God calls us to be. And just as we trust people with their decisions about their faith, we should trust people with decisions about their sexual callings because they are sacred callings. A supportive community uplifts the values that it holds dearly and it also honors the discernment of its individual members to help them thrive. One might even call such a community open and affirming. As a Christian aspiring to be compassionate and to honor different sexual callings, this week's news shook me to the core. I have seen firsthand how much energy it takes to make reproductive justice a priority, and the news left me unsure of the future of the movement. There was so much talk of the rights of fetuses and arcane points of law, but so little about the tools families need to thrive. Likely losing the protections of the Roe decision, even with all its imperfections, feels like the reproductive justice movement is losing an advocate, a Tabitha. After the shock wore off, most of what I felt was grief, and still is grief. And maybe you feel that too. The truth is that God is strong enough to handle that grief. When we share it with God, God has the power to reshape a future beyond it. Now that transformation doesn't always come as quickly as it did for the widows at Joppa. Even Jesus wasn't raised until the third day. And yet, this week may feel like it's knocked us down, but God's promise of justice, including reproductive justice, is still calling us. Regardless of whether we are grieving or celebrating, 
we as Christians need to get up and heed the call. Amen. our debtors, as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Blessings of our three-person God be with you always. Amen.